Well, good morning. How we doing? Well, I just want to welcome everybody in the worship center and everybody in the point. Um, I'm super excited to be with you all this morning. Uh, I do have to say one thing. Uh, how selfish is it of Brooke to earn your favor by showing a picture of, of a ridiculously cute baby? Like, that would be like me saying my wife is four and a half months pregnant, which she is. Uh, so thank you. Three people are excited. I'm excited about that. So yeah, she is uh, 18 weeks. I said 18 months last night, and people are like, Jesus, that's a long time. You should, you should probably do something about that. Like, oh, 18 weeks. I don't really get how this works. Uh, this is going to be great today. Some of you are thinking about leaving right now. That's fine. Uh, well, hey, we're in a series called uh, Rooted where we're discussing uh, our all-in values here at Connection Point, the things that keep us rooted as a church. And there's four all-in values that we're going to talk about over the next several weeks. And those values are generosity, spiritual growth, community, and serving. Each week, uh, each communicator will be hitting on one of those topics. And last week, Chad and Tony did a phenomenal job talking about why we serve. And if you've missed any of the sermons from the past few weeks, I'd really encourage you to go online and check those out because they have been so, so good. And today I'm going to be hitting on another aspect of our core value or all-in value of serving. Uh, when we think about serving, we think about maybe being a small group leader or maybe we think about being a blue shirt member, maybe we think about being a greeter, or maybe we think about being a, a, a server in a restaurant. By show of hands, how many people have been a server or are a server right now in a restaurant? Raise your hand. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I was a server for about three years uh, in college. And you may not know me, but um, uh, I'm really outgoing. And I really like to talk. Like a lot. I love to talk a lot. And uh, I would always get in trouble as a server because I would talk way too much to my tables. Like my manager would always come over and be like, Adam, you have to stop talking to your table so much. And I, like if I had one table the entire time, that would have been awesome for me. Like I would have made no money, but it would have been awesome for me, you know. And, but so I would just talk to my tables all the time. Um, so I was a really bad waiter. I was a really bad server. Um, but I was really good at the conversation piece. Um, but there was always one day, there was always one day out of the whole week that I hated to serve. And can you guess what day that was? Sunday, exactly. There hasn't been one service this entire weekend that has got that wrong. Sunday was the absolute worst day. I remember church people would kind of like get out of church and they would come to the restaurant and they would be the worst tippers. Like they'd go to church. It was almost like they went to church and it was like, okay, I got that out of the way. Who can I be mean to first, you know? And, and they would always be mean to me, the poor broke college kid, you know? And uh, I remember this one time, I remember this one time I was waiting on this couple and it, they had just gotten out of church and uh, we were talking uh, about what church they had just gotten out of and and, I was, and they're like, what do you go to school for? I'm like, I'm going to school to be a pastor. And they're like, oh, that's great. And I was like, sweet. You know, I'm going to get a good tip on this, you know, because I'm working it, you know. And uh, so I remember, you know, we went through the whole thing. And so at the end, I gave them their bill. And I went to do something else. I came back. And they were gone. And there's money there. I'm like, okay, cool, cool. You just paid for it. And so I went to cash them out. And they left me exact change. And they did not leave me a tip. And what they left me was actually worse than no tip. 
they left me a fake $20 bill that said, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have is worth more. It was basically a track or like the gospel message in a fake $20 bill. And I was like, silver and gold you don't have? You just pay, like, you, you shouldn't go out to eat if you don't have silver and gold. What are you doing? If you can't tip your servers. And I remember, like, we had a conversation about me being, going to school to be a pastor, being a believer, and they left me that. Do you think that made me want to follow Jesus? Absolutely not. Them stiffing me on the check did not make me want to follow Jesus. It actually made me resentful towards Christians. And when we think about serving, we have to think about what need has God called me to meet in this situation? And how can I best represent Christ in this situation? How can I best represent Jesus in this situation? We can't think about, you know, what will benefit me or what do I think is best, but what need has God called me to meet in this situation? So when we talk about serving, I want us to start thinking about uh, this idea of being sent, S-E-N-T, sent. I want you to think about this idea of serving in terms of being sent. And so that's our big idea today is that God has called us to live sent lives. God has called us to live sent lives. And what do we mean by this? We mean to live a sent life means to share Jesus, meet needs, and love like Jesus where you work, where you live, where you play. To live a sent life means to share Jesus, meet needs, and love Jesus, love like Jesus where you work, where you live, and where you play. And we live a sent life because Jesus lived a sent life for us. The gospel writer Matthew in chapter 20, verse 28 says, Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived a lifestyle of being sent. His life and his ministry was consumed with meeting needs and loving people wherever he went. And Jesus has called us to the same task. The gospel writer John records in John 20, 21. It says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, what has he sent us to? What is he sending us to? Matthew says in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word for make disciples is methusate. Everybody say methusate. Learning Greek this morning, I like it. And it literally means to turn men and women into disciples. So our calling as believers of Jesus is to make disciples, love people, and meet needs. However, I think we kind of don't see ourselves as sent. We don't view ourselves as sent. Um, I th and I think we need a shift in our mindset. In our young adult ministry, the net, shameless plug, uh, we're in a series called Monday through Saturday where we're talking about uh, what it means to live your faith more than just on Sunday. And many of, uh, many of us, myself included, we, think of, we might think of following Jesus in terms of, of just Sunday and maybe possibly a midweek small group. 
Yet why don't we think about following him the rest of the days of the week? Why don't we bring Jesus into every single aspect of our lives? Like where we work and like where we live and where we play. And I think it might be because we might have a messed up view of what Jesus came to establish. Because Jesus didn't leave his kingdom in heaven, live a sinless life, and die on a cross just so we can meet on Sundays. And so what Jesus came to establish is that he came to establish the church. Jesus came to establish the church. And so I quickly want to answer the question, what is the church? And maybe uh, helpfully help us understand what our role is within Jesus' vision for the church. So the first question is, if you have your program, is what is the church? What is the church? Well, if you took a poll, many people would say that the church is a building used for public worship. Or a lot of times people say, well, they came to church with me or I took them to church. Or, you know, that's where I go to church or that's where I don't go to church. And we talk about the church in terms of, of, of a place. And Matthew records a, a time where Jesus is with his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And he's going to uh, talk about what the church is. He's going he's to establish uh, what this thing is, the church. And so we'll pick up the story in Matthew 16, verse 13. It says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus replied, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades or hell will not overcome it. And so Jesus is with his disciples, and he's talking to them, and he says, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And so you got to picture Jesus is sitting on a hill or standing on a hill with his disciples, and he's like, guys, uh, who do you say that I am? Who do people say that I am? And one of the disciples speaks up. Let's say it was Judas. We can blame everything on Judas. And... Anyways, uh, Judas says, uh, you're John the Baptist. And you can picture Jesus kind of like folding his arms like, you think I'm John the Baptist? Don't you remember like he's my cousin? Remember the whole baptism thing when he baptized me? Dove ascended, you know, remember the voice? Like, I, I can't be John the Baptist. He saw us together at the same time. I'm not John the Baptist. Uh, who, else do you, who, 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 who else do people say that I am or who else do you think I am? Uh, you're Elijah. Elijah? You think I'm Elijah? And you can just picture Jesus like, I love them. I love them. I love them. I love them. You know, because he's been with these guys for like three years. And he says, okay, who do you say that I am? And Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You are the son of the living God. That's the right answer. And Jesus says, uh, Jesus says in verse 17, blessed are you, uh, blessed are you, Simon. Blessed are you, Simon. And you have to read humor into your Bible, okay? Jesus just did something that a lot of Southern people do, okay? When people, someone, thank you, you get it. Uh, 
when, <laughs> when someone says something kind of like dumb, Southern people are always like, bless your heart. Bless your, oh, bless her heart. I was with her the other day, bless her heart. Or she said this, bless. And Jesus is saying to, to Simon Peter, bless your heart. Because there is no way you would have known that unless my Father in heaven revealed that to you. So he says, bless your heart. You are absolutely right, Peter. You are absolutely right. And then Jesus says something really funny. Jesus, so they're calling him Simon Peter, or they're calling him Simon, Simon Peter, whatever, the whole time. And then uh, where is it at? He says, I tell you that you are Peter. Okay, he's been Simon the entire time. And now Jesus is like, I'm going to switch up the script a little bit. I'm going to change your name. You're Peter. And he's like, no, I'm Simon. You can imagine this, right? And he's like, no, I'm just going to call you Pete. I'm going to call you Pete. It'd be like me being like, you're Steve. No, I'm going I'm to call you Jeff. You know, like he changes it up. It's just really interesting what he did. And he says, you Peter, I'm going to, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. And see, a lot of people think that Jesus is saying that he's going to build his church upon the rock of Peter. And that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, Peter, upon this idea of me being the Messiah, upon this idea of me being the son of the living God, I'm going to build my church on that. I'm going to build my church on me being the Messiah. And nothing, nothing will come against it. I will build my church on this idea of me being the Messiah. And that's what I'm going to build my church on. And nothing will come against it. This Greek word for church is ecclesia. Everybody say ecclesia. Ecclesia. It means assembly or congregation. And so I quickly want to talk about what Jesus came to establish when he established the church. The first thing is that Jesus created a movement. Jesus created a movement. And nothing will stop this movement. It doesn't matter what disciple dies. It doesn't matter if Paul dies. It doesn't matter what the Romans do in the Colosseum. It doesn't matter what happens because nothing will stop this movement called the church. This assembly or congregation of people moving and sharing the gospel of Jesus. And see, the enemy knew this, Satan knew this, and he said, well, I'm going to infiltrate it. I'm going to try to slow it down by infiltrating from the inside. And so you fast forward hundreds of years and the church becomes more political and the Bible gets translated into Latin. And so there's no common language, uh, common tongue language uh, translation of the Bible. And so the only people who knew how to read Latin were the priests and the church leaders. And this word ecclesia, which meant assembly or congregation, the emphasis gets placed on the building or the meeting place. And this guy named William Tyndale, knowing that this was wrong, he translated the New Testament into English so the common people could read it. And he translated the word ecclesia back to congregation or gathering, placing the emphasis back on the people as the church. And the leaders hated this. And so they ended up killing William Tyndale. And then later, the, the Bible gets translated into German, and the word ecclesia gets tra translated to the German word kirche, meaning gathering place. And so when translated from German into English, we end up with the word building or place where the assembly or congregation meets, placing the emphasis of ecclesia back on the building instead of the people who gather in the building. And we have been stuck with this translation ever since. And we have been battling uh, to understand that the church is the people rather than the building. You see, the church is a verb, the church is a verb, not a noun. 
The church is a verb, not a noun. The church is the movement of people who are advancing the kingdom of God by sharing the gospel of Jesus. The church is not stagnant. The church is not where we meet, but rather who meets. The church is the body of believers, those who call themselves followers of Jesus. So Jesus came to establish a movement of his people who would advance against the kingdom of hell. And so that is the point of the church. It's supposed to be a movement. And that's why here at Connection Point, we will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. We will do anything short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus. Because the church is a movement sharing the gospel to those who don't know Jesus. It's not stagnant. The second thing is that this movement, the church, was fueled by an experience. The movement was fueled by an experience. You see, the disciples... We're not fueled by what Jesus taught. They were fueled by what Jesus did. They experienced a resurrected Jesus and it changed their life. I mean, I don't think the disciples were really convinced uh, by Jesus' teachings. I just don't. I mean, if they really would have believed Jesus' teachings, on the third day of the resurrection day, they would have been camped out, cooking s'mores over a fire, counting down, three, two, one, here's Jesus, yay. But on resurrection Sunday, nobody was there. Not one person was at the tomb. Not one disciple was at the tomb. And Jesus even told them, hey, the Son of Man is going to have to die, but I'm going to be raised back to life three days later. But not one person was there. But they are changed because they experienced a resurrected Jesus. So for us in our lives, how can we be a part of the movement and help people experience a resurrected Jesus? Paul writes a, a letter to the church in Philippi. In Philippians 3.10, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. And I want to experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to experience him. And I want to experience his resurrection power. You see, so many people leave the church because they never truly experience Jesus. They never experienced his mighty power. In the book of John, John records a time where Jesus heals a blind man. And the Pharisees are questioning him about who this Jesus guy is. In John 9, 25, it says, I don't know. The blind man says, I don't know whether he's a sinner, the man replied. But I know this. I was blind and now I can see. I don't know everything about this Jesus guy, but I was blind and now I can see. And friends, people who are looking, people who are wanting, people are wanting to experience a resurrected Jesus. And so many of us leave the church because we never had that experience. We never had that experience. So how can we help people experience him? To go from, I was, I had anxiety, I was filled with depression, but then I experienced Jesus and now I have hope. My marriage was on the ropes, but then I experienced Jesus, and now we are strong and we're loving each other. I was alone. I felt like I was down and out, but then I experienced Jesus, and now I have community. People are wanting to experience a resurrected Jesus, and they can. So how can you, how can I help people experience a resurrected Jesus? Number three, the experience was intended for everyone. The experience was intended for everyone. Paul wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. In Colossians 3.11 uh, it says, In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, 
uncivilized, slave, or free, Christ is all that matters. Christ is all that matters. Friends, when we refuse to share Jesus with people, when we ref- refuse to share Jesus with people that, that we don't like or people that don't look like us or don't have the same political affiliation or people who don't have the same religious affiliation, when we refuse uh, to share Jesus with them, we are basically saying no for, for them. We're saying no to Jesus for them when we refuse to share Jesus with them. And we do not have the right as believers to say no for anybody. We don't have the right to say no for anybody. Because the last time I checked, Jesus paid the ultimate price for every single person that would ever live. For every single person that would ever live. And when we say no for people, it's almost as if we're saying, as if their life isn't worthy of eternal life. Well, can I just tell you that Jesus came for every single person that would ever live. Every single person that would ever live. It didn't matter if they're black, white, brown, gay, straight, transgender, broke, rich, beautiful, not beautiful. Jesus came for every single person. And we cannot refuse the gospel to any person ever. I might preach in here today. I might just start preaching in a second. Holy smokes. We cannot refuse the gospel to any, anybody. And some of us, can I just say, this is not my script, can I just say, everybody's going to freak out, but can we just cool it with Facebook? Like some of us need to cool it with our statuses. Because there's people who don't know Jesus who are seeing your rants on Facebook and it's pushing them away. So can we just cool it with social media and promote love and peace in Jesus and not our own agenda? I, I don't know, it's just something I was thinking. I don't know. I might start preaching. I'm saying. They're going to take me off stage. So how are we living sent lives Monday through Saturday, every day of the week, to be a part of the movement that Jesus came to establish? How are we being a part of the movement that Jesus came to establish? You see, if we see the, the church as a building, as just a building, and our goal or our formula in evangelism is just to get them here, we're never going to reach the amount of people that Jesus wants us to reach. But... If the, if the building isn't the church, but if we are the church, then we can bring the church to them. We don't need, we don't necessarily need a building. We don't necessarily need a service. Because we are the church, we can take the church to them. And so serving people by living a sent life is one of the values that roots us as a church. By living sent lives is one of the, the core values all-in values for us at Connection Point. So I quickly want to talk about three ways in which God has called us to live life as if we are sent. And the first thing is that you are sent where you work. You are sent where you work. You may be asking, how can I live sent where I work? The first thing is, is be humble. It's just be humble. Take on the personality, take on the characteristics of Jesus at work. Go the extra mile for people. And build genuine relationships. Build genuine relationships. And pray for the opportunity to share Jesus with people. We have to start viewing ourselves as local missionaries sent to where we work. My wife and I have a a, a good friend uh, uh, here at the church. And she started a Bible study at at her work. 
Like she just said, hey, like I love Jesus and I want other people to love Jesus. So I'm going to start a Bible study here at work. And she grabbed a few people and it's been amazing to see the stuff that God has done through that one faithful act of living intentional and like she's on a mission. It's amazing. Second thing is that you are, we are sent where you live. You are sent where you live. Um, so I've been reading this book called The Art of Neighboring. The Art of Neighboring. And it's been really convicting. And in this book, they have uh, a graphic or a graph or whatever. And uh, in it, they have one of these things. And so depending on what age bracket you're in, this will be called different things. So if you're in a certain age bracket, this could be a pound sign or a tic-tac-toe board. If you're in another age bracket, this would be called a hashtag. If you don't know what a hashtag is, you know which age group you're in, and that's okay. <laughs> that's good. I'm never going to get asked to do this again. Uh, okay, so in the book, uh, The Art of Neighboring, um, the authors uh, put a big X right here, right in the middle, a big X. Okay? And this big X is you. This represents you, your life, where you live in your neighborhood. This is where you live. And all these empty spaces around it are your neighbors. These are all people that you live around. So in your programs right now, I want you to draw this hashtag tic-tac-toe board right now, and I want you to put an X in the center of it. That's going to represent where you live currently right now. And all the other ones represent your neighbors. Okay? And in the book, they ask three questions. And this really got to me. The first question was, how many names of these people do you know? How many names of these people do you know? I can name like two. But how many people, how many names uh, can, can you put on that, in, on that thing? No, the second question is, do you know something about each one of them? Do you know something about each one of your neighbors? Because remember, God has called us to live a sent life where we live. The third question is, can you tell of some hurt or joy or dream or hope that your neighbors have? Can you tell of some hope or dream that your neighbors have? I can only do a couple. How many of us are really convicted right now by this? This is us. That's, that's where we live. And so maybe you're saying, well, what can I do? The first thing that I'm doing, the first thing I'm going to start doing is I'm starting, these guys recommend this too, to start with a prayer every day. Say, God, how can I love you better today than I did yesterday? And how can I love my neighbor better today than I did yesterday? You see, this is taking the emphasis off ourselves and placing the emphasis back on God and our neighbors. The second thing I'm, I'm going to start doing, or I am starting to do, is I'm having this plan. Okay, I'm having a plan. So instead of closing my garage door, as soon as I get home, I'm going to get out of my truck and I'm going to talk to any of my neighbors that are outside. So, because a lot of times, this happened like two weeks ago and I feel so convicted about it. But I got, uh, I got home and my neighbor Don was outside and I remember like Don talks a lot and I was like, I'm kind of busy. And so I got out of my truck and I acted like, this is terrible, I'm going to get fired. Like I got out of my truck and I was like, yeah, hey, Don, I'm on the phone. And I ignored him. And I ignored him. And I just walked to my house, shut the garage door. My wife's like, hey. I'm like, hey. And then I just went on with my day. I just totally ignored 
my neighbor. See, I don't know. I, I, maybe God was trying to give me an opportunity to show love to my neighbor, but I just totally missed it. Maybe Don has some sort of need that I could meet, but I was too busy, thought I was too busy to talk to him. And so now I'm just going to come home and open up my garage door, and if one of my neighbors are outside, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to walk over and start a conversation. And I think you should do the same thing. How can you start to get to know your neighbors? Because God has called you to live a sent life where you live. Uh, my wife and I have a good friend on staff, him and his wife. They have a, an 18-month-old uh, lovely daughter. And they're starting to do this. They're taking this serious. They used to play with their daughter in the backyard, and now they're starting to play with her in the front yard. And it's been amazing to see the stuff that God is doing by them just playing in the front yard. Like their neighbors see their daughter, and they're starting to get to know their neighbors. Like they're coming over, and they're just striking up conversations. Like a few weeks ago, uh, the couple had a, an amazing conversation and got to pray over one of their neighbors about uh, one of their relatives who was sick in the hospital. And their neighbors got to help them with like stuff that was broken in their house. It's just amazing to see what's happening by just making themselves available to people. The last thing is you are sent where you play. You are sent where you play. Now this could be any hobbies that you have, a, a, a park where you take your kids, where you work out, or maybe it's even here at the church. Here at the church, we need 40 more family hosts for our community families that we're serving through something we're calling the Holiday Project. And there's going to be uh, three holiday events at Connection Point over the next three months. And what you would do is you would show them hospitality at these events by spending time with them and helping them navigate this event. For a lot of these people coming to this event, it will be the first time they've ever stepped foot in a church building. And you can sign up online or you can go out to the lobby display. But what an amazing opportunity to live a sent life where you play by hosting families through this event. We have a young adult guy in our ministry uh, who has taken this idea seriously. So uh, this guy loves softball, played college baseball, and he's a phenomenal softball player. And uh, so like day one of the softball team, He's like, hey, guys, uh, I quit my job. I'm going to go into ministry. I just want you to know I love Jesus. And if you need anything, I'm here to pray for you, whatever you need. And I feel like every week he's coming back to me. He's like, Adam, <laughs> I talked to this guy about his wife and things are going on. And I got to pray for him. It's amazing. And he'll come back. And he's like, <laughs> another time he said, I talked to this kid that, that, that's been on drugs and uh, I got to pray with him. And, and he's going to start coming to the net. And he, and he has. And, and this guy has like led half of his team to Jesus by just being available and open and honest saying, hey, I'm about Jesus. I am for Jesus. And if you need anything, I'm here for you. That's what it looks like to live a sent life where you play. Living your life like you are sent doesn't mean you have to do something special. It just means you have to be intentional, intentional in your relationships and use the gifts that God has given you to introduce people to Jesus and meet needs. I want to show you a quick video of a young adult woman, a uh, young adult lady in our uh, young adult ministry who has taken this seriously. Check this out. I moved here about four and a half years ago to focus on photography and I thought that that was kind of my main goal, I guess, as far as being here and focusing on that. And then about a year and a half ago, I got introduced to foster care. I 
I had just gotten back from a trip with my friend and I was kind of on the back of my head, but I just kind of kept ignoring it and I had just finished a super busy season with photography and it was just the last month had always been in the back of my head. Then in December of last year, went into our local DCS office and gotten just general paperwork and just info on it. I sat down with someone and she kind of told me everything that I needed to do or that requirements would be of a foster parent. That day, she convinced me to do it, to sign up for the class, and she still said at any point, if I don't feel like this is gonna work out or if I don't wanna do it, I don't have to. And so I just kept telling myself that every step of the way, I don't have to do this if it doesn't work out. I think with being single, you are just used to being able to get up and do whatever you want on a daily basis and kind of just live however you want. And with fostering, it's definitely a commitment as raising any child is. And there's just a lot of appointments and requirements because you are parenting, but it's on someone else's terms and there's lots of guidelines and rules. Like you are raising them for a certain amount of time and going into it, you know that in the end, you're raising them just for a little period of time and then ultimately they're not your child and you have to give them up. And I think that's probably the biggest sacrifice. Come January, I did all the classes, January and February of 2017. And then March, I got licensed and I did my in-home studies and I didn't really have to try for anything. The timing just worked out and you could see God's hand in every part of it. I had amazing support from all of my friends and I had clients and followers and stuff that followed our journey that were sending me gift cards or sending me diapers or whatever I needed and that was huge because you don't get a ton from the state to care for them and I think if it wasn't God's will for me to do this then he went to provide it like he did and it was just crazy to see how much he constantly was using other people to help me every step of the way. Brianna is a single 21-year-old young adult who saw a need in our city and said, I can meet that need. I can be a foster mom. Throughout scripture, the church is called to be light in the darkness, salt in the world, a lamp set on a stand, and a city on a hill. As believers, Jesus has called us to run toward the darkness, not sit in the light. Jesus has called us to run towards the darkness, not just sit in the light. The light is the gospel. And each believer in Jesus carries that light. And Jesus is calling us, demanding us to take that light where we work and where we live and where we play. We are meant to live grateful and generous lives for our king and the expansion of his kingdom. We carry the, the message of reconciliation that has changed lives and is still changing lives. He's changed your life. God has called us to live as sent people and love people. And you can love them. As you're led by the spirit of God, you can serve them. You can show them hospitality. You can build friendships with them based on genuine care. You can answer questions, ask questions, read scripture with them, pray with them. You can involve them in your everyday life and show them what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. 
The church is you. The church is me. It's not just a building. And God is calling you and I to be sent out like missionaries, like local missionaries to our homes, to our families, to our workplaces, to our neighborhoods, to the ball field, to the fishing holes. It's the places God takes you. It's the people that he puts in your path. You've, you've been called to live a life for his purposes, for his purposes. You and I have been called to live sent lives where we work and where we live and where we play. And if we leave here, if we leave here this morning and we just change a few things in our schedule, that's okay, but I think we're missing the point. You and I have to start seeing our time, start seeing our lives, every single aspect of our life, every single day of the week as differently. We have to start viewing ourselves as being sent out like local missionaries, where we work, where we live, and where we play. And we do that because Jesus lived a sent life for us. Jesus left his kingdom in heaven and came to earth and lived a sinless life and died on a cross for you and for me. And now he asks us to live a sent life as well. In a few moments, we're going to take communion together. People are going to come out. They're going to pass out the bread and the juice. And if you'll hold it, we'll take it in unison together. But I want you to think about how can you start living a sent life? What areas do you need to change? How, what mindset? How, how can you change your mindset to start living a sent life? Because the church is you. And the church is me. And he's called us to live sent. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you, God, that he lived a sent life for us. That when we had no hope, he gave us hope. When we had no life, he gave us life. Father, now I ask you to give us the courage to give up the things that we need to give up to live a life on mission for you. God, help us to view ourselves as local missionaries being sent out where we work, where we live, and where we play. God, help us to think about our neighbors that we don't know. God, you've called us to meet needs, and we can't meet needs of the people we don't know. So God, help us to be intentional with our neighbors and with every aspect of our life. Help us to live on mission and with a purpose for you. It's in Jesus' name, amen.